0: We'd like to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church podcast. The following is a message entitled Pineapples and Heisman Trophies. For more information, check us out on our website at WestchesterCFC.com. WestchesterCFC.com. We have seen so far Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount by explaining characteristics of what his followers are to look like. Jesus transitions there and, and then he speaks about the identity of his followers and he pronounces that, that now forevermore we are the salt and the light of this world. What Jesus has spent really the majority of his time concentrating on emphasizing and articulating is our need to, to, to transform religious convention and religious hypocrisy and make make spirituality truly from the depths of our soul and from our hearts. And this morning, Jesus, once again, he makes a transition and he's going to spend our next few messages now speaking about wealth. And so there in chapter 6, starting in verse 19, here's what he has to say about wealth. Verse 19, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And then Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures, that that phrase, store up for yourselves, it really is a play on words in the original language. It is really the identical meaning of that word treasure. So another way of, of understanding what Jesus is saying here is, what he's saying is, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures which come from the world. And I find it amazing how something that a man taught to an ancient city 2,000 years ago still has even more relevance and urgency 2,000 years later in our culture. And that is because as it pertains to to earthly treasures and earthly possessions, to have earthly possessions is to be a human being. I imagine every single one of us has in our house, either it's inside a safe or it's inside a very carefully chosen room, valuables of some kind. Maybe it is our birth certificate or our social security card. Maybe it is a passport that we do not want to lose. Maybe it is um, photographs from, from our upbringing or from our father or our mother long ago. Old black and white pictures. And you know, I really am no exception to this. I've got quite a few treasures of my own. As a lot of you, you know, I am a, a, a connoisseur of old, vintage, 1950s, out-of-print jazz records. And as you can see, um, I began collecting maybe about three years ago, and, and three years later now, I've got about three or four hundred old jazz records. I refer to it as um, a medicine cabinet because of, of of how much it alleviates my my um, anxiety. At the end of the day, I've got every single vinyl record Frank Sinatra ever made in his discography. I've got Duke Ellington. I've got you know Billie Holiday, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, but I mean, I I treasure each and every one of these old records. I got another. Re- um, Treasure a few years ago at Christmas time. Um, my entire life, my favorite musician, i Duke Ellington. And I don't know why it was, but when I was 11 or 12 years old, all the other kids are, are um, hearing heavy metal, gangster rap, and I'm jamming out to, to 1940s jazz. I don't know, I'm an odd duck, but I remember being 12 years old and hearing a song of his for the very first time and just tears welling up in my eyes thinking that if my thoughts and and my happiness and my um, sadness had a melody to it, that's exactly precisely what it would sound like. And so a few years ago, what my wife got me at Christmas time, she had come across a book from 1939 that Duke Ellington signed at a concert in Stockholm, Sweden. And not only is it signed by Duke Ellington himself, but his entire band signed it. I mean, legendary jazz musicians, Johnny Hodges, Otto Hardwick, Juan Tizzle, Harry Carney, 1939. And I mean, I, I get it. For a lot of people here, this is worthless in your eyes, I imagine. It, it has no significance to you. But when I held this book for the very first time, I, I was so happy that, that I was Crying. That's because there, there's just something about Duke Ellington's music that, that is, I mean, just dwells inside of my bones. Just thinking that Duke Ellington himself and his band held this book in their hands before World War II. And now it belongs to me. I mean, this is an absolute treasure to me that I will treasure for, I, I imagine, for a very long time got another treasure that I take with me everywhere that I go. I have a ring that had belonged to my grandfather. He died four years ago, but every time that I put this ring on in the morning and, and I go about the day, it's as if he's with me everywhere that I go, even though he is no longer here in this world. I mean, we all have treasures. We, we all have items and belongings of tremendous value to, to us. Even if it is nothing but a or nothing but a sentimental value to just we ourselves, nevertheless, they are treasures to us. Now what we need to understand about our text is that Jesus is not making a prohibition on having property or belongings. Jesus is not commanding us right now to, to, to go home and to rip up all of our old pictures or our social security cards. But rather, what Jesus is driving home here in our text is the reliance of our materialistic ownings and possessions. What he's speaking about is when we start looking at our stuff, at the treasures of this earth for our identity, for our security as human beings in this world, this is what Jesus is speaking about. And I believe that this is a message that that our ears need to be hearing even more than they, they needed to when Jesus gave this Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. And that's because we are living in an age of excess and of materialistic gluttony. I heard about a photographer whose name is Menzel, um, Peter Menzel, and he had this, this assignment many years ago where, where he was going into all of these countries and he, and he would go to at least one person's house who was representative of the average income in that country. And they would take every, every item, every belonging and treasure in their house and pose for a picture in front of it. I can't remember exactly which third, third world country this is, but I mean, this is everything that these people own. I mean, you can count how many items that they have right there. And here's a family out in Tibet. And again, I mean, it's more than a few items, but I mean, you can see everything that they own right there. I mean, that is everything that they have to their name right there. Lastly, he comes to America and he goes from from this and from that. And we have this. And I mean, let me remind us, this is just what the average American has inside of their, their house. I mean, it is not even close. We are by far the most wealthy, rich, and materialistic nation in society that has ever walked and roamed the face of this earth. It had been concluded by the LA Times not that long ago in this investigation that they had done, in a study that they had conducted, that the average American home has more than, get, and, and I mean, just get ready for this, 300,000 items in the average American house that's just on average 300,000 items and I mean we 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 are a nation that last year spent more than 720 billion dollars just at christmas time that is such an astronomical figure that if we were to even take 40% of that money if we wanted to as a nation, we could end worldwide hunger just like that. We could end worldwide hunger and still use 60% of that $720 billion and have a, a great Christmas. And I know that a lot of times in the church, it is a fashionable thing to, to look at a couple of people and, and to look down on them in Scripture. I think one of those guys is the guy who we all know of as the rich young ruler. Where he's got all this stuff, and every time that it's taught, it's just like, how could he be so earthly-minded and choose his stuff over Jesus? And yet I think whenever we look at the rich young ruler, we need to very closely look at ourselves. Because let's face it, as Americans, no matter what we've got in our, our houses every single one of us is a rich young ruler. Every single one of us is dragging around a ball and chain called stuff. More stuff. And even more stuff after that. In fact, we've got so much stuff, money, and possessions that that in comparison, the rich young ruler would very well be a poor young ruler in comparison to us. And yeah, this is also something that we're able to, to identify in where we give our attention. I heard recently on, on Good Morning America that the average American checks their, their, their smartphone 80 times on any given day. In extreme cases, there are many others checking their, their smartphone in upwards to 300 times in a span of 24 hours. Roughly 8 to 10 hours a day doing nothing but just scrolling social media. Did you know that there is an actual diagnosable medical condition? Where if you are away from, from a smartphone enough, if you have this specific thing, you, you, you actually have separation anxiety from your smartphone device. And you just mentally begin self-destructing um, you know, destructing because you are very anxious without having a cell phone with you. I also heard from from Nielsen, who handles ratings on television, that the average American spends approximately five hours and four minutes a day watching TV. That's roughly 35 and a half hours every week. 77 days a year. I mean, 5% of our year on average, we're just watching a whole bunch of beer commercials and... All of this stuff on television. Now I am not standing up here so that I can shame us for for having smartphones or having televisions. There is nothing wrong with having a device. But in our pursuit for more and more and more stimulus, in our yearning to, to lose ourselves in the hypnosis of our treasures and our trinkets and toys we can so easily go from possessing our treasures to our treasures now being the ones who are possessing us. It's what we hear Jesus say in Luke chapter 12 as as he speaks about a man in a parable who has all of this materialistic stuff. Jesus says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. What I especially want to here emphasizes where he says, for not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. Is that we we have all of these nice treasures in our possession. But what Jesus is saying is that true life cannot be found in these things. As you might recall in, in his parable, he He has a guy who is just storing up for himself, hoarding everything that he has, but he reaches the very end of his life. And what Jesus says is, you fool, because he wanted to to still build even larger barns for for all of his stuff, so so he could have even more stuff. Jesus says, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you, and you're, you're standing around wanting even larger barns and more stuff. He asks him a question. He says, who is going to own what you've spent your life accumulating and amassing? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. And I read this with 21st century American eyes, and I think, God, I, I've got a lot of growing up to do. There's a lot of things in my, my heart that I am valuing too much. And there's other things that, that I need to, to value so much more than I am. Now again, it is not a sin to own a smartphone, or a television, or a record collection, or an autographed book. But what Jesus is getting at here in our text is that he's saying that when it, as it pertains to earthly treasures, don't get too attached to those things. Because, you see, here's the thing about earthly treasures. Earthly treasures have an expiration date. Moth and rust can destroy it, Jesus says first. Now, in this ancient culture, a lot of times, one of the absolute epitomes of wealth and status was, was really the clothes that you would wear. But what Jesus is saying here is that whether a garment costs three cents, Or it costs $3,000. It doesn't matter. Moths are indiscriminate. Moths eventually are going to, especially in that culture, are going to deteriorate and to eat away at those precious garments. And really the same is true for, for all of our earthly treasures. I had experienced this, um, actually experienced this quite often. If you have a record collection, it's inevitable. A record, eventually, it's going to get warped. It's going to skip a little bit on you. I was listening to a, to a Frank Sinatra record just just last week, and all of a sudden, Frank has this very deep voice. He's all like, I've got you under my... And then it skips, skin, 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 skin. It's like, man, is this a Frank Sinatra record or, or a Barry White album? I don't know, but... If it's made by the hands of man, it's going to eventually decay and, and it's going to erode and it's going to deteriorate. I could not believe this when I had heard about this, but in the 1700s, did you know that in England, if you wanted to convey that, that, that I am a very rich man and that I am very well off, that you would walk around with a pineapple in your hands? A pineapple. In this 18th century time, pineapples were, were really such a rarity out of the, the um, Caribbean that to have one in England was considered the absolute zenith of, of um, wealth. Even with, with our price inflation ever since, in the 1700s, one pineapple was worth $8,000 back then. And so as a result, many people could not afford to actually have a pineapple, but what they would do is actually rent pineapples. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just couldn't, I mean, I was amazed learning this because a lot of people had um, dinner parties back then. And if they wanted to especially um, I'm impress all of their, their guests, all they did was just rent a pineapple and place a pineapple in a very prominent place in their house. Everybody walks in, whoa, he's got a pineapple. He must be very, very well off. And yet in the world of today, I mean, just just look at how much that has depreciated in time. It doesn't matter if you're a homeless guy, you can have a pineapple just like that. We could go to the store right now and have a car full of pineapples if we wanted to. But that's the thing about earthly treasures. It depreciates in value. It warps, it erodes, it fades away. We might imagine a man who is at a car lot in 1990, and he sees all of these brand new Chevy cars, and they're just glistening in the sun right off of the assembly line. We fast forward to, 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 to our present day um, world, and many of those same exact cars right now, at this moment, are, are rotting in junkyards. What we see in this process and and in this transition from, from assembly line into junkyard is that enjoy it right now, because tomorrow it turns to ash. It's a woman who is at the mall and she looks through a window and she falls in love with, with a very beautiful dress she takes one look at it and says, I don't care how much it costs. I've got to have that dress. And she spends about $300 on that dress and she, she just loves and adores wearing that dress. But we fast forward four and a half years later and, and that treasure dress is now on sale for just $8 at a garage sale. That's the thing about earthly treasures. Wear it right now because tomorrow it all turns to trash. Trash. It's even true with our looks and with our beauty and with with our human bodies. 100 years ago, here is how how a minister says it, Charles Spurgeon. He says, what a solemn sight is presented to us by a dead body. When last evening trying to realize the thought, it utterly overcame me. The thought is overwhelming that soon this body of mine must be a carnival for worms. That in and out of these places where my eyes are glistening, foul things, the offspring of loathsomeness shall crawl. That this body of mine must be stretched out and still, cold, abject, passive death. And death then must become a noxious, nauseous thing for me. Cast out even by those that love me who will say, bury my dead from out of my sight. As the scripture says, the says the grass withers and the flower fades. And in the same exact way, one day, our, our looks and our youth, it begins to decay and to, to fade just like a rose and to wither away in time. And, I mean, just so much of what we seek and what we pursue in this world is corruptible, isn't it? So much of what we so anxiously store up for ourselves in this world cannot be taken with us into the next world, the one which is eternal. My heart goes out to the rich young ruler because we need to understand that the rich young ruler did not sin just by having money or by having objects and, and having materialistic ownings and possessions. But his problem was when he chose all of his stuff over following Jesus Christ. Looking for his identity only in Jesus Christ. Rather, he found his identity in in his stuff, and I think that is a lot of people in our world. I spent many years being just like that in my life. From really, I mean, really following after Jesus. We remember how Jesus had said to him, if you wish to be complete. And again, this is Sermon on the Mount stuff, once again, happening later on in Matthew. We remember how at the very end of chapter 5, Jesus says, If you wish to be perfect, he says, be perfect just as your Heavenly Father's perfect. Now we might remember that, that really what that means in the translation is be, be mature. Be complete and, and live your life with a heart like God. And now here Jesus is saying, if you want to be mature, if you want to be a complete son or daughter of me, go and sell your possessions. He, he says to the rich young ruler in that context, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. In other words, once you have cleared all of that, that, that room and commitment to this world out of your, your heart, and now all that you are going to, to ever live for and to love most is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if you will do that, then come and follow after me. See, what Jesus is saying here, and what Jesus says in our text here, on the Sermon on the Mount, is that there are different types of treasures that we don't even really know about all the time. He says treasures in heaven. And I have pointed it out before in this series, but I feel like I need to to repeat this every single week for for really my own sake. A lot of times we hear that phrase, kingdom of heaven, and we think, well, that is what's going to come my way at the very end of my life, at the very end of time. And it means that, but it especially means bringing his kingdom right down here to the earth, bringing his sermon on the mount, bringing his way of life into the lives of the people we encounter right now bringing heaven down to earth in this world. What this means is that if we must be possessed by, by treasures, then let's be possessed by the treasures that God himself is storing up forevermore. Treasures which cannot be contaminated by dust. Treasures which cannot be deteriorated by rust. Treasures which cannot be stolen from us, even from the devil himself. We are the only ones who can walk away from these treasures grieving in our hearts. But over and over again in Scripture, what we see is that what God has given to us is an absolute treasure. As the Apostle Peter speaks about our our inheritance in Jesus, he, he refers to it as something, notice, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Likewise, he also speaks about our our influence as Christians in this world, about infiltrating our societies and our cities with the kingdom of heaven, with the attributes of the Holy Spirit. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that has been hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid again, and from joy over it he goes and he sells everything that he possesses. In other words, it's a metaphor that that anything earthly-minded that he was clinging to most, now he is clearing out all of that that room. Now the only thing that he wants to love more than anything else is the kingdom of heaven in this world. It's a treasure, Jesus says. God's power at work in our lives. The Apostle Paul calls a treasure, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in other words, in our bodies, so that the surpassing greatness of the power might be from God and not from we ourselves. Over and over and over again in Scripture, whether it is His words, whether it is our love for for His church, whether it is evangelism in our city, there are just so many ways that we can store up treasures which are in heaven. What Jesus is saying is treasure heavenly treasures. Treasures. What he's saying is be possessed by heavenly possessions. And there's one really good surefire way that that we're going to know which treasures we are storing up in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes. And that is, he says, you just got to look at your hearts. Because at the very end of our text, what he says is, And we see it there um, in verse 21, I believe. He says, for where your treasure is, there you're also going to find your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we need to understand it's not just our, our hearts that this word means, but really what this means is the inner person. What he's speaking about is our hearts, our minds. It's our character, our feelings, our desires, our priorities, our our imagination. Jesus says in all of these ways and departments, store up for yourselves heavenly treasures that cannot be eaten away by, by moths or gather spider webs or be stolen by a thief. We see just what a seismic of a difference it is in Luke chapter 8 as Jesus speaks about his parable of the sower. Notice what he says. When he says that the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go about on their way, notice they are choked with worries and with the riches and the pleasures of this life. And they bring no fruit to maturity. This is precisely what happens when we treasure All of the treasures of our earthly lives. And yet notice the exact opposite of this, which is treasures in heaven, where he says, but this other seed, which was on the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word, but with an honest and a good heart. And they hold it fast and they bear fruit with with their perseverance. Our very last image of the rich young ruler that we were ever given is him walking away grieving in his heart from Jesus, knowing that I want to follow Jesus, but you know what? I want all of this stuff so much more. I don't want to give up my status and identity as, as a wealthy man so that I can go be poor and impoverished with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus looks at him walking away and he just marvels and he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, is the American church listening to this? Am I listening to this? We are so much more blessed in comparison. He would be the poor young ruler. Jesus says about that guy, how hard it is for a rich man to to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Entering and possessing God's kingdom within us. I believe that when Judas stands up in the upper room and he walks out. Even though he is about to absolutely go and to cash in 30 silver pieces. I believe that still silently he is grieving in his heart. Because after all Judas had a love of money didn't he? It caused him to to even steal from, from his brothers in their collections. It caused him to betray his Lord for just 30 pieces of silver. But we remember what the Apostle Paul says as he, he observes later on that, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some by longing for it have pierced themselves with many griefs and have wandered away from the faith. And yet I'm grateful though that there are, are greater examples out there in Scripture Matthew, the guy who, who wrote this book, a guy who we never really look at, he was a tax collector as Jesus meets him. I mean, that is code for a very wealthy man amongst his people. But Jesus says, Follow after me. And it just seems like without any hesitation, he, he just gets up and he abandons his lucrative job and his status as being a rich man so that he could go be impoverished with Jesus. What we learn from Matthew, as well as from from Jesus, is that so often in this world there is a poverty in having wealth, and that there is a wealth in having poverty. I have a friend whose name is Gonzalo. He is on the right there, and he and his wife have um, adopted a man and I as as their grandchildren, and. They are um, our Cuban grandparents, as I like to refer to them as. And he is on, he has, um, has a show on ESPN every weekday called Highly Questionable. And so he knows a lot of athletes. But long story short, a football player's name was, was Ricky Williams. He is a friend of his. And he was going to move to, to Australia for, for a long time. So he says, listen. I need to hide my Heisman Trophy. Your house is the last place anybody might suspect. And so, I don't know, for about eight or nine years, my friend Gonzalo had the Heisman Trophy in his garage. I mean, had the Heisman... T- I mean, it's like having the Batmobile in your garage. <laughs> and yet, if you sit down with him and you ask him about that experience, he just shrugs and says, you know what, That. I mean, it's kind of cool, but... It's just a hunk of metal. And yet if you ask him what, what, what his true treasures are in his life, he, he considers none of that. Fame, money, whatever it is, popularity, none of it. But what he considers his truest treasure is something that, that cannot be bought. And that was him and his wife fleeing communist Cuba in the 1950s under Castro. Coming to America with absolutely no money, making sacrifice after sacrifice, so that their two sons might have the childhood and the chance to be successful that they had, had robbed from them living under Castro. Sacrifice is such a precious treasure that is far greater than any treasure in this world. And it took me so long, but, but I finally got to the point a few years ago where we were having a meal with, with um, a Siberian um, minister who Amanda knows, and I had two twenties in my pocket. My heart was absolutely set on the very next day buying a whole stack of records with that money. But as he is showing us what the church looks like there and as he says how low they are on funds, I mean, I'm just sitting there and just something changed in my heart in that moment. And I just sat there listening to him and I, I, I had tears falling down on the table because I Because of just how much I wanted him to have that money in that church. And really what we see so often is that really whatever is dominating our thoughts, our speech, our free time, our zeal, that is what has conquered us. That is what we're living for. That is where we're looking to for our identity. That is what we're saying. This is who I am. And this is where my primary allegiance lies. And to place our identity or desire in stuff is the spiritual equivalent to buying stock in Enron. It's making a deal with the devil. Your soul for a bag of magic beans. Your birthright for a bowl of soup. So as we bring this all to a close here this morning, I just want to leave a statement here for for us as we go into this week. And that is just simply, don't be possessed by dust. Be possessed by Jesus. Don't be possessed by anything that a spider web can contaminate. Be possessed by Jesus' kingdom in our hearts and in our lives. So maybe how it looks like as we respond in this coming week is maybe as we return to our homes later on today that we just look at all of these myriads of treasures that we have and be grateful for them and be happy that we have had them as long as we have but to ask ourselves, do I need all of this stuff? Do I need 59 pairs of Air Jordans? Probably not. Do I need 364 porcelain dolls in my guest room that, that only creep out our grandkids? Probably not. Do I need 4,000 vinyl records? No, I need 3,000. So I'll just get, get, get rid of 1,000 of them. But I have, I'm finding that the more that I get rid of that is an earthly treasure. Really, the more life I feel bre- being breathed and birthed into my soul. Lastly, we need to ask ourselves: What kind of treasures do I need in my my life? Maybe I don't want to spend five, you know, five percent of my life watching beer commercials in the coming year. Maybe just two percent watching beer commercials. <laughs> spending that extra 3% extra time in prayer or, or with my brothers and sisters or, or with getting excited about evangelism in this church. See, this is what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that we treasure God and that we treasure our neighbors. That we look at our earthly treasures and, and that we, we realize that it doesn't matter if it's a pineapple Or if it's a Heisman Trophy, it's going to rot. And tomorrow it turns to trash. Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also.